Welcome to the Star Love Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Beck, the Oracle in New Orleans, founder of Inner Makeup Astrology. To learn more about what I do, visit innermakeup.net. And today we have Tara Catherine Collins. Tara is a best-selling author and the originator of Essential Feng Shui, which honors the essence of Feng Shui's Eastern heritage while focusing on the many benefits it provides in today's world. Her six inspirational books on the subject have sold over a million copies worldwide. That's a lot. <laughs> uh, Tara's first book, The Western Guide to Feng Shui, is filled with practical suggestions and inspiring before and after stories. Her alphabetized home design with Feng Shui A to Z provides a quick reference to Feng Shui solutions, while The Western Guide to Feng Shui Room by Room offers more in-depth information and includes over 100 photographs. Tara recounts the enriching experiences of essential feng shui practitioners and their clients in the Western Guide to Feng Shui for Prosperity. And this is the one I use a lot for people who are listening. It's very practical and just gets to the nitty gritty right away. And the connection between love and environment in the Western Guide to Feng Shui for Romance. Her newest book, The Three Sisters of the Tao, Essential Conversations with Chinese Medicine, I Ching, and Feng Shui, explores how to sustain or regain balance in your life. And we're going to, a lot of the podcast is really going to be focused on this book, which is wonderful. So with a passion for transformational education, Tara founded the Western School of Feng Shui in 1996, and more than 2,000 people from 26 countries have taken her signature course, the Essential Feng Shui Practitioner Training. Featured on the PBS Body and Soul TV series, Tara has spoken on essential feng shui at many special events, including the Magical Mastery of Today's Wisdom tours in Australia and the Women of Wisdom I Can Do at Hay House and Empowering Women conferences throughout the United States. Tara lives with her husband, Brian, in West Sonoma County, California. Tara, how are you doing today? Well, I am very excited to be with you, Daniel. That's wonderful. And I'm excited to be with you. And, you know, as I was saying a little bit in the intro, I've used the book and actually uh, your books have been a mainstay in my family. My parents have used it. My sister uh, has used it. Uh, I've used it, um, whether it's even on vacation, resetting hotel rooms or <laughs> my parents' house. And, you know, there's a fun story where my mom moved something and then my dad got a really good job. Um, I, yeah, no, this, I mean, this is what we're talking about. Feng Shui works mysteriously. You know, recently I was just getting kind of bogged down with some of the minutiae in my own work. And I was like, you know, I need to get the phone ringing again because I'm not focusing on it enough. And I balanced the career and the helpful people in travel. And then the phone started ringing again for clients who knows how these things work, but somehow they do. So it's, you know, this is really great stuff. Um, and I think people will be benefited mightily by listening to this podcast. So could you just briefly define feng shui for people? Because I, I know people hear the term feng shui, they hear it a lot, they might have some sort of general idea about what it is, but what is feng shui? Well, feng shui literally means wind and water. Those are the two words, and that is connoting the seen and unseen energies that comprise our world. So we've got our physical stuff around us, and then we also have our thoughts, our feelings, our memories, our associations, 
which are considered unseen energies that are also comprising our world. So really what I like to say is feng shui observes how our lives are influenced by our environment. So it correlates quality of life with quality of environment. And it sees environment as being a living partner, very much alive and very much ideally in harmonious partnership with us as we live and grow and change through our lives. So of course, when we're practicing feng shui, we're helping people understand that very vital connection between environment and self. And it begins to open people's feng shui eyes to see that their environment is very much influencing their wealth, their health, their uh, relationships, their creativity, etc. All of the things that we treasure in life are being affected and held in place or not by our environments. So it's it's I've been involved with it for over 25 years and I'm still completely mystified as you began to really describe like wow when we align ourselves and we know what we're doing with our environments, we really get a chance to harmonize every single aspect of our lives. So this is interesting because that seems like a very different way of being than most the way most people live in many societies around the world. It sounds like a much more enchanted way to live. It sounds like a much more relational way to live as far as we have a relationship with the cosmos. I think there was, gosh, I think it was maybe Hermes Trismegistus, who was a Greek astrologer who said, you know, the universe is like a soul because man has soul and the universe also has soul so there's a relationship mm. between us and the cosmos but mm. we we tend not to think like this especially in many westernized cultures we tend to think very objectively that we can just observe things that's our perception and then that's it but what you're saying tends it sounds like a much more enchanted way of living so could you speak to that, that sure it is, and there, i think there has to be a philosophical change in order to live that way it is oh it is a certain way of seeing the world there's no question about it once we step into this feng shui way of seeing what we're going to see or what we already do see is that everything is alive around us uh People tend to think that the uh, furniture, uh, the physical things they live with that make their lives move forward are inanimate. That's just stuff. It really has not a lot to do with uh, the concerns that they might have or the delights that they're experiencing. So if we start to see that everything's alive that's around us, and I can certainly go into that with more detail, everything is connected to us. Everything is influencing us and everything is always changing. So we really begin to see the world as a dynamic and sold place that we can create harmonious relationships with. So a very small example would be I open my kitchen cabinet to look at my coffee mugs and when I look at them through my feng shui eyes, each and every one of them is going to be saying something to me. They're going to be talking about where I got it, who gave it to me, if it was a gift, how long I've had it, 
whether I like it or not, whether I did like it and I no longer, all those conversations are happening, (laughs) you know, and so, and then close the cabinet and the conversations go quiet. But if I've got that that cabinet open and I'm choosing my mug, I want to be choosing from a choir that is harmoniously Mm. singing together and not from a group of thugs that are trying to beat me up about (laughs) various, you know, uh, relationships that I had in the past that I no longer have, or uh, I never even liked this thing. It was a gift. So I felt forced to keep it. These are the conversations we start to really listen for. And we start to call the herd, shall we say, and begin to allow only what, makes our hearts sing and what have positive associations, memories, feelings, thoughts connected to them, begin to live ever more exclusively with those positive things. That therefore then creates this ripple effect of Mm. well-being that, Mm. you know, we really can see what a difference that makes. If I walk out of my house every day feeling less than excellent because I've been surrounded with stuff that does never makes me feel good. These are the things we never, it's all been below our radar before. And feng shui wakes us up or, or, or ushers us into the consciousness of saying, wow, all this stuff is talking to me, man. All this stuff has stuff to say. And it's, it's, it's talking through our own responses to it. So let's make those positive, affirmational, harmonious. You know, it's so interesting. I'm reminded of a couple things. One is a quote from Shakespeare, the, co- the stars comment, and sometimes the stars comment in secret. Mm. So, yeah. And then also, I, I recall, you know, some of the old Hans Andersen stories, the children's stories where supposedly inanimate objects come alive. And there are all these stories like that. So it's it gets into, you know, to put sort of a dry term on it, almost magical realism that we li- live if we're open to it in an enchanted universe. But I think how might you say you've got one shot <laughs> to get, because it's very hard to reclaim, I think, in a disenchanted world, an enchanted mindset. What, what would be, you know, we're going to get into so much more in this, but what's one thing out of, you know, your experience, that just try this and that will open your eyes up to an enchanted way of seeing the world? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, and I have so many answers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You've got one. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So one would be, all right. Uh, have a seat somewhere in your home and put in front of you something that you absolutely love. That just every time you see it, it just lifts your sense of self. And it can be absolutely anything. It can be a pen. It can be a book. It can be a vase. It, it just it doesn't matter what it is. What matters is your feelings toward it and mm-hmm. what it elicits from you. So you put that in front of you. Just let it sit there and be with the feelings that this thing elicits. Okay, feel that, feel that. Let that wake you up. Let it touch your cells. Let it touch your heart. Feel it. Take that moment. Then take that, put it off to the side. Thank you very much. And take something that you really don't like at all. You know, it's ugly, it doesn't make you feel good, you know, and be with that. 
Okay, so you begin to uh, elicit within yourself the, this, this interesting thing that's happening subconsciously or unconsciously all the time. We're having these kinds of responses to the things that are around us all the time, but we're just not paying attention. So Feng Shui is going to say, please come in and please pay attention because this is going to change your life, baby. This is going to really, you're going to be able to, without any fret, begin to really let go of those things that do not make your heart sing and begin to surround yourself. So when I'm with a client who is ha, goes completely pale because they realize that nothing they're living with do they love, not one thing, this has mm -hmm. happened repeatedly, what we do is I say, all right, please don't freak out, just take a breath. <laughs> Because you, we're, we, we're recognizing what's so, and this is a good thing. So now I want you to take something you love, one thing, and put it in each room, just one thing, because that will start a ripple effect, and it will help you begin to shift everything to match that high level of harmony that you have established by choosing something that you love and putting it in that room where you can see it and enjoy it. So start with that. Mm, that's wonderful. So when we were first connecting, you know, I have, as I was saying, I know your books very well, but there was a book that I didn't know that you had written and published, which is called The Three Sisters of the Tao, Essential Conversations with Chinese Medicine, I Ching and Feng Shui. And what I find interesting, somewhat related to what you just said, we're really talking about feelings here. We're not talking about, and so I had just said Chinese medicine, I Ching and Feng Shui. We're talking about philosophical, medicinal, divinatory concepts and usually when one thinks of such things we tend to respond with the mind or we tend to go into sort of ponderous states which aren't necessarily heartfelt so right you, right and you had what you had written in this book and the and i really love the preface that you started in your own life, you were actually out of alignment and you started receiving messages. And one day you received the first message with a friend at a dinner regarding something that you term the inner pull. So what was that message and what is this inner pull? Yes, yes, that was such a moment, uh, such a, a moment for soul education or soul uh, reawakening me back to balance. I was sitting with a friend who had just retired, and of course I'm in the heat of my career, very, very different lifestyle from hers at that point. And she is just sort of basking in the feelings she's having about how she's no longer being pushed from the outside world to get something done, to do it on time, to make sure it happens. She is just, absolutely basking in the feeling of being pulled from the inside out, like pulled to go for a walk, pulled to go have breakfast, pulled to call a friend, and, and instead of push, push, push. <laughs> and I am sitting across from her, and I have this absolute realization that my life is nothing but a push. I don't even know what a pull feels like anymore. 
Um, I wake up every morning at that time. I am, you know, catapulted out of bed by the things that need to be done that day. I was constantly uh, saying yes to more than I was comfortable producing. And uh, so that was my first realization is I had lost all contact with that delicious inner pull, even on a weekend, even on a holiday. I had lost all touch with inner pull and I was nothing but push. Mm. And, you know, it's interesting as I was reading through this, I was thinking of the concept of centrifugal force. And the like if you're if you let's say you, you have a, a ball and string and then a ball at the end of the string and you're like flipping it around like a lasso, the centrifugal force is what holds things to the center. But, you know, in order to do that, you have to respond to the inner pull. And then, you know, in a sense, the the heavens can rotate around us. So we're grounded and centered. But being pulled by something outer or pushing pushing that's it's not going to work because then right. you're going to get you're going to get like sucked into a black hole or something <laughs> or you're going you're gonna, to it's not it's not going to work so at this period you were writing that the irony was you were having great success but you say you were a well going dry in a heat wave of opportunity and around this time you had said that and many people know you'd met Louise Hay, and you, you, this is really an amazing thing because she was a huge figure yes. um, in, you know, metaphysical publishing and with her own career. And I was just thinking you had gotten like hay fever or something. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. It's just, so, so talk a little bit about that. So you were, you know, what you were a well going dry in a heat wave of opportunity because I think most people would think, wow, oh my God, look at Tara. She's rocking and rolling. This is where I want to be. But you said, no, not exactly. Exactly. Well, I was not wise enough to keep myself in balance. I was not wise enough to know that sometimes saying no is the perfect thing because there's so many yeses already on my plate. There's no room for another yes on that plate. I've got to know how to say no and know how to say yes. And I had found myself being so, um, there's so much opportunity coming my way and always sort of tagged with the line that came with that was do it now, mm -hmm. do it now, because if you don't do it now, it may uh, go out of fashion. You know, feng shui's just got a beginning, a middle, and an end. You gotta like, you know, feed the fire where the fire's. Blah, 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 blah. It's like, cheerily, <laughs> cheerily. I felt like the little girl in the red shoes. You know, I just, I had, I was dancing, but now I was getting exhausted, and I didn't really know how to stop dancing, especially with all of these accolades and all of these opportunities coming my way. So I needed to dig for deeper wisdom and need to begin to really look at the wisdom of setting boundaries. And that is when this uh, message about the inner pull versus the push, 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 I began to really see that I was enough out of balance that I wasn't going to continue to be able to produce you know, it, it it was it doesn't. Once I was out of balance, anything that's out of balance does not have long duration. It's going to burn itself out. It's going to drown. Mm -hmm. It's going to do mm -hmm. something because of the out of balance ness mm -hmm. of it. And I was out of balance. 
You know, it's interesting because in astrology, there's a part of the chart called the 12th house and it's the planet, uh, the planet Saturn is said to find his joy there and joy because Saturn can be very difficult. It's where we get the word Saturnian from and it's where we, we bind ourselves or we become structurally bound uh, because it can be a source of imprisonment or undoing, but that's exactly the place where we can find liberation. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more, uh, but then there was a second message, and it actually came from your husband. So what was that message? Well, <clears throat> this was not long after that dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, uh, I was standing in the bathroom. It was, a, it was a large bathroom with two sinks, so Brian, my husband, and I were standing in there at the same time. And I looked into the large mirror that was over both sinks, and I was struck with what I saw. It was just one of those wonderful moments of being able to see clearly. And what I saw was that my hair, I had cut my hair to the point where I actually looked like a war camp victim. I mean, my hair was painfully short, ridiculously Mm -hmm. short. And I'm looking in the mirror with this teensy amount of hair on my head and Brian's got hair down to his shoulders. And I, it just struck me. What, wait, wait a minute. Just wait a minute. I could see that he was relaxed. I could see that he had a little smile on his face, that he was in his zone. And he was just being in that moment. And I looked like I was, my eyes were too big. My, you know, I was looked very stressed. Um, uh, it looked like somebody else had just whipped all my hair off my head. I mean, I was out of balance. It was obvious to me. So that was that moment of, oh, my God, I'm living with a man who's happy. Mm-hmm. And I was just the opposite. I was extremely unhappy. And it showed. You know, it's interesting. You said, like, you were tap dancing around. And that made me think of Hans Andersen again. He has, there's a famous short story of of his where there's a little girl and she puts on these, I think, red tap shoes. Yeah. And she can't, she can't get them off. She just, (laughs) she's right. I mean, she just keeps tapping around and she, she, again, she sort of binds herself to these shoes and she can't get out of them. So it's like, I, I just thought of that. And then the other, a couple other things I thought of when I was reading through this is, in a sense, it's not the worst thing to be looking at your husband and he looks good, right? Like that's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, on, on a certain, like a simplistic level. But then another thing, and I've been writing about this a little bit, that we have our resources and what we have to work with and give, which, you know, for you, that's all of your talents that, you know, you have to give and work with. But then that has to project out into the world. And then we meet other partners through, you know, in all sorts of different facets of life. So probably it seemed to me at that moment, you were kind of, you projected something out and then you were meeting your husband and meeting a mirror and it was a, it was a good mirror to meet. And you kind of, it was almost, yeah, like that, that's a, it's a really good, because sometimes you meet an, an other, like another, and it doesn't go so well. (laughs) Like you, (laughs) you meet another person and that psychologically draws you to something that is a deep subconscious lesson that is not going to go easily to teach the lesson. (laughs) So, so yeah, so it struck me as really kind of a sort of a bittersweet moment that it's like, okay, thank God. Wow. I'm with Brian. But then, wow. Okay. Look at myself in the mirror. Okay. That I, this is not working. 
Yes. Yes. He helped me see that in that room there was standing a relatively balanced, happy individual right next to a relatively unbalanced, unhappy individual. And you're right. I mean, he has been my rock. He's been an, an amazing partner through many, many thick and thin adventures. Uh, we've been together for about 30 years. So we've had a lot of thick and thin times. And that moment was such a like, well, how come I'm not letting my hair flow? How come I'm not smiling? How come, I mean, what is, what's wrong with me? What, what have I let happen that I have let myself come to this? You know, mm. it was that moment. And this, then you received at some point the third message, because you were literally, you fell ill and you, you, you know, you had your fever and you were in bed and you came to certain realizations because you started to dream. Um, and you, you started to realize um, through remembrances that, you had grown up and had been around a lot of people for a long time whose hearts were just broken. Everybody's heart yeah. was broken. So when you literally fell into your bed, um, what was what was what was being told to you through dreams and you know just through spirit or whatnot about the heart? The realization for me at that time was that my heart indeed was broken, and um, there that I could repair it. Uh, the primary feeling I had when I was lying in the bed at that moment was that my heart is broken. And not only that, but I had a visual uh, sense of what it looked like. And it looked like some sort of burnt meat. I mean, it was a graphically mm. terrible uh, image of, uh, you know, something pretty much unrecognizable as a heart. Mm -hmm. And um, that really struck me to my core that I had thought that my heart was just fine. And on, you know, we're multidimensional beings, every single one of us. So on some levels, of course, yes, I, I could be loving and heartfelt and all of those things, heartful. Um, however, there was an essence piece that went all the way back to really, um, you know, my parents, my grandparents, you know, the whole genealogy mm. of how um, families formed themselves uh, before I was born and then during my childhood, where really when I looked back and in my bed, I was doing this with great detail, is I could not find in my head, in my memories, any family as I was growing up that had a heart, everyone's heart was broken. Oh, I, I grew up on a cul-de-sac, so I tracked all the families on that cul-de-sac and then out through the suburban streets. I couldn't find anybody with a heart that was in intact, you know, that wasn't burned or crippled or broken or something. And it was an immense realization that I, I felt I just kind of went uh, just fell deeply asleep as I was processing that. And I had a dream where I saw myself as a starving cat. And I saw three women who were very compassionate toward that cat. And they were in a home and over the, the um, front door was written, the heart is where mm -hmm. the home is. Mm -hmm. And 
then, you know, so then it went on from there. But that was my beginning to go, oh, my goodness. I mean, I need to really go back and do some real reclamation Mm -hmm. um, and some healing that ideally will help for all of those people who were in that same sort of cultural norm, which was just heartless. It was a heartless cultural norm. Well, that's quite an insight to go back and find such heartlessness. Uh, It's interesting because one thing, and I'm trying to get Anne back on the show. She's a wonderful astrologer. Her name's Anne Beversdorf. And she has a really unique take on the planetary body, Pluto. Because when we, I don't know if you remember this, but when some of the images came in of Pluto, the first images just a few years ago, there was a picture of a heart. And I think it was kind of like a broken heart. There, It wasn't like a perfect image of a heart. Mm. And yeah, and Anne, and Pluto is the planet of kind of the underworld and the subconscious. And Anne has a beautiful take on Pluto because a lot of astrologers tend to think of Pluto as a very malefic planet but she says no Pluto is about kind of releasing some of the things that you really need to do Mm. to release in order to follow your bliss but and she doesn't think of it as a broken heart I think of it as a broken heart maybe it's a little bit of both but it does have to do with letting go of the brokenheartedness in order Mm. so that you might allow the joy to come in now this people generally do not think about pluto this way uh usually so (laughs) um so that it's very and i'm i gotta get in back on the show we're working on it but 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 it's great yeah no no i know there's we we have wonderful people you know that come on the star love podcast uh so but i just find that it's quite an insight and you know the other thing that i was thinking about when i was reading through this that when you're in your bed it's such a combination of the present past and then moving into the future and there's some interesting research that's come out in neuroscience about how the same part of the brain that remembers is also the same part of the brain that imagines the future So while these processes are happening, it's kind of like happening in the present, but bending backwards, bending forward, but actually inhabiting time. And I I also Mm -hmm. remember um, a book that I just read recently called The Dispossessed by Ursula K. Le Guin, and it's about a gentleman, and he leaves his home planet, um, which is actually a moon, and then he goes to another moon. Um, So he starts this journey, but part of the journey as he moves forward is also remembering how he got to the starting line in the first place, and then he ultimately comes home. Um, And he has to kind of ritually bind himself in many different circumstances. He's a scientist in order to find these scientific discoveries, and it's a very spiritual journey where he even says at a certain point, one has to have walls in order to have freedom. So, yeah, we in some there are times in life where we really have to be ritually bound, where we have to, you know, like you said, you're in the bed or I we were talking before we got on the podcast. (laughs) I was just burnt out because I was preparing for this podcast, which is, of course, all (laughs) worth it. But I had this other essay to get out. And then it was I was just burned by the end of the day. But it's you said it was sort of a ritual binding. But now. I'm able to, today I was, I reset. (laughs) Yes. So, and then I was just thinking about all this stuff, which really actually comes from the heart. And then you actually came up with the phrase, I want to see if you can clarify this for me, but usually we always say home is where your heart is, but you say heart is where your home is. And and I'm I'm thinking there's a subtle difference between the two, but could you (laughs) 
I, I know I was actually having trouble understanding this. Could you parse that out a little bit? We absolutely. It, it's kind of a play on words for me to just really get me to pay attention. Hmm. Uh, uh, home is where the heart is, is kind of a, a statement about something that's outside. Like our home is is a tangible thing. Mm -hmm. Our home is where our heart is. So we, you know, ideally we go home and, and this is this is the goal in feng shui is to truly have our hearts have a beautiful residence, a beautiful pl tangible place to rest, recover, uh, play, enjoy life, right? The play on words here is heart is where the home is. It's like wherever I go, when my heart is open, awake, uh, instructive, uh, able to set boundaries, those kinds of things, when my heart is balanced and alive and awake, I'm home wherever I go. Mm. So it's out, it's the inside home and the outside home mm, which is exactly what we were you were talking about earlier in the podcast wonderful and you know it, it wasn't so you went back in time as you were in bed and then you're you're still we're all still moving into the future as you know life is in motion uh, but you said, you know, when you left your home, you know, when you were, you know, uh, when you, as you were getting into adulthood, you sought different forms of spirituality and you ended up just finding more brokenhearted people as well. So it wasn't like, wow, I found this guru and then that was it. Or, wow, I found this way to meditate and it was it. But you said you actually did not find, um, you know, peace and happiness and bliss through sort of that spir the spiritual journey that you were on initially. That's, and that is absolutely true. I could say that what was true was the aspect of myself that still was carrying what we might call a broken heart was resonating outside and attracting more of that sort of wounded heart folk. Mm. You know, people, I was really doing a good job attracting more people who had had similar circumstances and were also doing their very best to work that out. And all of us were wounded enough that there wasn't really a mainstream thread uh, or river or stream of love. It was more acting out. It was more, mm. you know, show, showing up of neediness, using um, passive aggressive, however, you know, all the things that human beings do when they're out of balance. And um, so, yeah, I was went through various communal experiences, had all sorts of antics happen as a result. Um, and I can see it now that it was just me very slowly and incrementally doing my best to work out my own imbalances. Uh, yeah. And one of the things, you know, again, I was reading through this, I found so interesting. You said your sensation returned through true feel. And as you were getting into massage therapy or just it was literally you had to feel your way sort of out of the broken heartedness. Like you really it was a true feel or sensation, um, you know, getting you back to a heart centered place. Could you talk about that? Because this seems to be a thread that flows through this podcast about 
you know, whether it's feng shui or, you know, Chinese medicine, I Ching, this concept of the three sisters of the Tao, it really has to do with feel. This is not abstract. And it's, you know, I just finished reading, rereading a book called Haroon and Other Sea Stories. All these children's stories come up in this interview. <laughs> they, you know, there should be, you know, I guess that that's something to it, too. But um, in in the book, um, it's it's basically the story about a young son who like wants to figure everything out he's trying to save his father because his father's an entertainer and his father loses his voice but there's something called p2 or it's oh gosh it's process is too complicated to explain and it's like set up like um like um the periodic table but it's again we're not talking about like really like really advanced um although you know i know nothing really about the Tao at all but i'm sure there are very complicated philosophical precepts we're really talking about feel emotion living in harmony which there's not really like an objective answer to that right i mean that's kind of what we're talking about that by its nature you know these types of things that you're talking about it's about a relationship with the cosmos and it's not something that we can just objectively impose upon ourselves or our own reality right i think we can set uh goals we could i mean that's a mental uh idea really but the, like if we really look at the i i i say the tao you say the tao it's the same thing t-a-o the philosophy is it's built around some very distinct ways of being and ways of feeling so if we wanted to talk about those, one of them that's right there for all of us is tranquility. Mm. Okay, how much time do we spend feeling tranquil? How much time <laughs> do we spend feeling kind? And how much time do we spend feeling connected? Benevolently so in all three cases but you know when when I started to study massage therapy and then polarity therapy what happens is language drops away right mm. and we get into feeling kinesthetic based experience and what starts to happen is I go into a tranquil place as the body worker and the person I'm working with goes into a tranquil space if I am working with someone as a body worker and I am not using a touch that's kind, that is not going to go well. I mean, mm -hmm. can you imagine, right? <laughs> Nothing like a sadistic body oh worker, right? <laughs> so so the, the archetypal tenets of the Tao began to drop in for me to explore and experiment with in a nonverbal way, mm -hmm. tranquility, kindness, and connection. If I'm working with someone, it's very important that in some way I feel connected to them. You mm -hmm. know, I feel connected to their every single body part that I might be working on in that moment in time. So the body worker has the opportunity to step into being tranquil, tranquil, kind, and connected. And uh, so I think that's where I really began to feel the road, the pathway presenting itself to me. 
you know, it's interesting because there's an analog in astrology and, and not everybody views it this way because some people do view astrology as more of an objective art or even trying to do science on it. But that you can just look at the chart, what's going on, try to guide a person. But oftentimes there is an intertwining with the astrologer and the querent. I do see this a lot with myself that either there's some issue I'm going through or I can uniquely help guide that person in that moment. So we do get connected with clients that there is that mirroring process, mm-hmm. you know, I guess like your husband. Um, yeah. that we, we do, you know, have to have that psychic awareness of what's going on with another person um, and within ourselves to be credible. So, okay. So you're, you're in bed, <laughs> you're, <laughs> you have fever. And then you, so you're, you said you're lingering in bed with a cup of tea and it's like, you were thinking, oh my God, I'm wasting so much time. And it's like this thought of, you know, this is a waste of time. I could be doing work, but this was a real shift in your thinking. And then you turn to the I Ching. So could you define what the I Ching is for people? Because a lot of artists have been inspired by the I Ching. It's a wonderful system of divination. I'm very much interested in, although I have next to no knowledge about, but I know John Cage, the famous experimental yes. composer, um, you know, Philip K. Dick has featured the I Ching in some of his books. Um, you know, I know other practitioners of divination, they use I Ching. So what is I Ching and how are you using it yeah, when you were in bed. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the I Ching I'll uh, define as the Book of Transformations. It is Taoist in its uh, roots. Uh, there are many, many books that are called the I Ching that are out at this point in time because of its popularity. And so it's going to be like feng shui is, it's going to be like Chinese medicine, where there's a lot of opinions and a lot of different ways to approach it. I personally really like the I Ching books that are written by Carol Anthony and Hannah Moog. Um, It's simply called the I Ching. It's a big white book. They've also written other books that complement this. So Okay, we've got the book of transformation. Well, what the heck? So <laughs> it's it, it's bit it's it's complex in that it's built sixty. There's sixty four possibilities of getting a certain sixty. You know, sixty four trigrams that then go together to make hexagrams, all being built out of yin and yang lines. All right, it's as far as I'm going to go into the mechanics yes, of it. Yes, yes, um, And so what will happen is you follow a certain protocol. You come up with a certain hexagram after asking a question, and that hexagram is going to give you an answer that you can apply to your question. And it's guidance. It's always saying something like uh, you're – you're you're applying a lot of anger to your life right now a lot of reaction you need to sit and calm and think about this so i started to ask questions like what am i supposed to do now and you know what would be the first thing for me to do and i was presented with a lot of lifestyle changes Mm. you know that i and and it was it was becoming obvious to me that my the lifestyle that i had created for myself had no duration and that is a key line that you'll see in the I Ching over and over again. This particular behavior has duration. 
this particular behavior has no duration. So it's constantly guiding a human being toward balance. And mm -hmm. that balance is considered what we were just talking about a minute ago. It's moving toward kindness. It's mm -hmm. moving toward connection. It's moving toward tranquility, calm, uh, letting things go rather than getting in fights about it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the balance of yin and yang energies from a really masterful, ultimately a very masterful place where a person knows when to engage and knows when not to engage. And yeah. this is something that takes time, especially when someone finds themselves so out of balance as I was, because all I knew was to engage. I was mm -hmm. just overly engaged. Right. And I think obviously so many people with the gifts of modernity through technology, like take, for example, you know, we're connecting here now, but then there are so many ways to just be pulled in so many directions at every moment of every day with the intertwining of technology in our lives. But the thing that I find interesting about this to have an analog to the work that I do, I mean, I'm sure like you, I'm blessed with a lot of great clients. There's a very small percentage of people who really want a hard and fast objective answer to a question and I really pull back and I say I really don't think this is what this is about like the poet Rilke said love the question yeah and what why why are we why is one drawn to that question or even asking the question in the first place and then how can one really take some agency through the insight to make a move or a turn you know, it's, um, it's for the better. It's something, as you say, with eaching that is proscriptive. So here's something that is prudent for you to do because of the situation. So it's not like we expect in, you know, probably post enlightenment, we expect it to be like a scientific answer. This is what's going to happen. And then that's somewhat you there's even a question why might you even want to know what's going to happen anyway you might not right. even want to know so it's it, there's it's sort of neither here nor there but so that that can be you know interesting to what what the purpose of divination even is and in this case eaching that it's not so much always about what's going to happen but it's like no you're out of alignment here's yeah. what you might want to do here's what brought you to this situation very very go. different approach uh, yeah. which i think a lot of people don't really realize yeah um yeah and then it, and then it's yeah sorry go ahead no it just um your what what i was thinking of is it the eching is often used uh to to show whoever's interested how to proceed Mm -hmm. Okay, I am currently in this situation. Mm -hmm. How do I proceed? Mm -hmm. Right? And then we learn, oh gosh, I <laughs> I didn't even think that maybe taking a week off, you know, you you know, proceed by resting, proceed by not proceeding. Mm -hmm. You know, uh so we are guided constantly on um the way I like to look at it is, is uh, the I Ching was helping me attune myself to a finer and finer degree to balance. Mm, right. And then the third 
uh, leg of the chair that came in as you were, I think, in bed. Bed still was Chinese yeah. medicine, and you call. I'm sorry. And then you call it a combination of poetry, alchemy, and the corporeal nature of the body. Could you talk a little bit about Chinese medicine again in a conceptual framework that might be different than how you know we conceive of medicine generally uh, in our society, Western society? Yeah. That- the, the thing that I recognized as I was studying Chinese medicine is its constant uh, focus on either sustaining or regaining tranquility and calm. And if Chinese medicine is, is ancient, it's been studying how to achieve longevity uh, for human beings for thousands of years. And one of the keys to longevity is the capacity to return on a very regular basis, if not hang out, in the state of tranquility. Mm. This affects the heart, you know, and the heart sort of beats for all of life. And so if we look at the heart and we think of the vibration or the energy of the heart is a lot like a flock of birds Mm. so if there's a flock of birds and they all land in a tree and they're all settled right and then there's Mm -hmm. a shock in the you know a car starts or a person yells or loud music comes out whatever it is Mm -hmm. all those those birds fly away they all mm-hmm. disperse, mm-hmm. and that's not what we want. We want for the, the 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 flock of energy, the delicate, beautiful energy that collects in our hearts. We want to create an atmosphere around that where it's shocked as little as possible. Now you'll see in the great American lifestyle how many times is your heart shocked every day. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, it comes mentally, emotionally, Mm -hmm. physically, psychologically, you know, we're shock, 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 loud, whatever. Mm -hmm. So, so Chinese medicine is saying, oh, honey, you're, whoa, your, your heart is being deprived of this beautiful, delicate, uh, living chi. Mm. And so, you know, we've got this big deal right now about mindfulness and meditation and yoga and people spending time in a tranquil space. This is fantastic. This Mm -hmm. is Chinese medicine making her way into Mm -hmm. the Western world and saying we require tranquility for our own health and well-being. You know, it's so interesting because you talk about, you know, getting, being tranquil, allowing for wings of imagination and a whole new realm of creative potency. And that was actually, you you said you moved away from this feral shyness to actually, again, this childlike improvisational theater-like state of being. Yes. Yeah, no, no, I think that's great. It's interesting, too, because another person who says something maybe differently but similarly is David Lynch and his meditation book, Catching the Big fish that one needs to really get tranquil and go into that deep meditative state to really get to that wellspring of creativity so one quick question um and then we'll we'll go back to bed and talk about (laughs) talk about who the the, you know who these people actually were who came to you in the dream but is there so we're talking about like being tranquil and i remember um one of the great 
classical conductors uh, of our time, Ricardo Muti, he actually ended up leaving an opera house because he said, I need the peace and tranquility to do the work that I'm going to do. So maybe he felt like he was out of alignment. But but what is the place for tension? Because we don't we don't just live in like a totally tranquil place all the time. So what about necessary tension in the context of all this stuff? I was just thinking about that, Daniel, because you were saying that you uh, had so much to do yesterday. And what uh, what I thought as you were talking about that is we all need recovery time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if we were going to and I do speak about this in the sister's book is uh, life is if we wanted to start to compartmentalize just for basic understanding a balanced life would have equal portions muscle manus of work rest and play okay Mm. so work is tension work is time dependent it's can be fast-paced it requires a a laser beam Mm -hmm. of thought and application of self to get whatever that task at hand done okay so we have that time that work time like your time yesterday like my time that I did too much of that. I got all work, I was all work and no play. So uh, if we can have a a relative balance on a daily basis of work, which is tension, rest, which is the antidote to tension, that's where tranquility comes in. So we depart from the work world and we enter into the rest world and that would be sleeping and napping, uh, meditation, whatever is really, really still and down and restorative. And then play is where, see, here we go with the cycle, is where we rise up again in joy primarily, you know, happiness. This is where, you know, the joie de vivre uh, Mm -hmm. is activated and continued to um, be uh, supported, to be alive and wonderful. And that is comprised of both peaceful, restful uh, times and active, playful, sportsy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, artsy, dancey, you know, whatever <laughs> stuff that, you know, we make that makes us feel good. So we might want to watch a movie or we might want to put on some great music and dance. Or we might want to sit down at the piano and play or we might mm-hmm. want to, you know, add to the painting we're working on. So work, rest and play. If we can get those you know, into some sort of balance pretty much on a daily basis. People all will have unique applications in their lives. And of course, as we go through our lives, we're going to, you know, the person who's 80 is going to have a different work, Mm -hmm. rest, play relationship than the person who's eight. Mm -hmm. So it's always changing. So, you know, you've come to this realization, you had fallen literally in bed with this fever, and you realize that these three uh, legs of a chair, I Ching, Chinese medicine, and feng shui, are actually the three sisters in the dream. And that's the book, The Three Sisters of the Tao. Yes. So, and then you really, so this was actually the poem that's in the book, The Three Sisters of Tao Reach Out to Touch You, This Time to Wake You Gently So You Remember Your Heart Is Where Your Home Is. So, it, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. I think it's because of our culture so worships the mind 
mm-hmm. and oh, the brain and the mental, you know, mm-hmm. the, the uh, memorization and, you know, mm-hmm. the smart kid is the kid that remembers the most and, mm-hmm. you know, all that. And it's that our culture is is so needing, so asking for the balance like heart math brings forward with the coherence between the mind and the heart that they're the yin and the yang, they're lovers, they they work and they rest and they play together. It's not to defeat the mind and get all into the heart. And no, no, no. We want to have that beautiful dance between mm-hmm. mind and heart. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, this, as you said, this is this. It's interesting, too, because, you know, I, I read quite a bit, which does engage the mind. But oftentimes I come across a lot of different writers and actually theologians get into this. But what's beyond the words? And, mm-hmm. you know, words aren't all that there is. And, right. that you know, the whole thread in part through this podcast is it really is about feel and sensation mm-hmm. and heart and you say the the real basis of this stuff is love of the Tao. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is is kind of love, right? So if we look at uh, if we can really embody kindness and we can really embody connection with all living things, which is an expanded viewpoint from the feng shui perspective, because everything's alive. Mm-hmm. So if I'm feeling connected and having a loving response to everything that's alive and kindness. Now, I know that there's a lot that is in our world where we're going to have to step back. The I Ching does a lot of instructing people to step back and get real quiet when Mm. things get very out of harmony, Mm -hmm. like, you know, politics or pandemics or, you know, we, we get quiet. Mm-hmm. It, uh, rather than infuriated, like that getting quiet, it's it, to be masterful with being able to step back and breathe. And also, we haven't really talked about this, but the I Ching is huge, huge centrally uh, focused on unseen help. Unseen mm. that we we have a lot of help on unseen levels mm-hmm. that uh, many of us in Western cultures pay no attention to whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I do spend some time in the sisters book talking about what are the qualities of unseen help because I had being brought up in a Christian household, what had been communicated to me was I had to grovel. And, you know, like, oh, please, you know, beg Mm -hmm. for any help whatsoever, which my personal nature went, you know what, I don't even need your help. I'll do it on my own. (laughs) Right. And so I had been the rebel sort of batting that out of the way. And the I Ching instructed me. It's these are friends. These are Mm. colleagues. These are Mm. our, you know, your peers. They just don't happen to be in the same level of life right now. That was a huge, huge shift for me. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and it's just funny, like I was saying before, I just wrote this essay about um, it's actually related to sex, death and money about, you know, inheritances and the nitty gritty aspects of money and why how we feel about money. But in ancient times, 
the ancient casting of an astrology chart, you have the planets coming out of the part of the chart that they rise up and they're coming out of the gate of Hades. So you, you rise with sort of your material resources and your values and even your speech, what you're saying in, in a Hindu casting of the chart. And then that rises, it culminates at the top of the sky and it kind of sets in a kind of death so that it can be reborn again. Mm. And this is how we merge with other people and partners. But it, it is really interesting because we do need other people. It's just we have to get the right yes. people. So it's, you know, there because if you just live your life in a vacuum and it's like all me, that's it doesn't work. Um, right. it, it has to project outwards somewhere to expand. So Absolutely. And that, that's been a quest for many of us, hasn't it? To find our kindred spirits um, mm -hmm. who, you know, sincerely are well enough to create positive, uh, generative partnerships. Mm -hmm. And if we then begin to at least take a look and get a feel for how much help and how much support are we getting from unseen levels of life of mm -hmm. which we may never have explored at all, We've never been encouraged to most of us, right? right? And where does synchronicity come from? And how come I just ran into my best friend, you know, that I have been out of touch with for a while exactly at that moment? I mean, how do all how does it all become, as you were saying, magical realism? Uh, I mean, it really does end up looking that way. Right. And what, th this goes back to an earlier point we were talking about, but one has to accept an enchanted mindset or at least be steeped in that, you know, like a you know cup of tea, like you're in the, you know, have to, you know, have an enchanted mindset to, you know, have things come into your life mysteriously or find a diamond in the rough or that kind of stuff. To, yeah, yeah. You know, there's another book, one of my favorites recently, uh, The Mayor of Casterbridge by Thomas Hardy, and that's, you know, high British literature. But there was one of the characters, Elizabeth Jane, she really ends up triumphing, but kind of because she accepts a playful worldview or at least accepting her reality and playing with it. And she becomes even scared at one point. And Thomas Hardy writes, fancies find their place in the strongest of minds. So imagination finds its place in a strong mind. So it takes it takes a really strong mind to stay enchanted. It's not always just easy to, you know, I mean, you, you, yeah, you can have it and be with it but it's very easy to get disenchanted especially perhaps w relating to what you're saying about uh, you know always reacting to everything everything in our culture technologically and whatnot wants us to react because then that makes money and it's there's you know a lot to that but um but it doesn't really help to be enchanted <laughs> uh, it's tr it's true how do we uh maintain our relationship with enchantment mm -hmm. would be a great question to ask ourselves. How do we maintain or sustain our relationship with enchantment? I mean, most people, when they go out and they really are with nature, they walk mm -hmm. along a beautiful stream or they sit beside a lake in the forest, there's, you know, nature has a way of pulling us into pulling, right? Mm -hmm. Pulling mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. gently uh, it's not insisting itself on us it's mm -hmm. pulling us gently into enchantment mm -hmm. and so uh, my my personal uh 
sense of life is that life is enchanting mm-hmm. if we tune into it as so. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a really great note to end on. Uh, do you have anything else you wanted to say, Tara? I would like to say, since we've been using lots of words, that, <laughs> and we, and you had mentioned that, you know, words can lead and do lead to feelings, mm-hmm. that um, taking uh, some of the wisdom from I Ching and take watching with great precision how we use language. Mm. And uh, I Ching likes to say we can kill with language and we can kiss with language. It just depends on the words we're choosing to use. So that would be something for all of us to just give a little attention to how am I using in you know my inner talk? Mm-hmm. How am I talking to myself? And how am I talking to other people? Um, and am I establishing strong connections to kindness mm-hmm. and to connection with my language? Because mm. we really, language is, can be enchanting and extraordinarily magical. Mm. Wow. Well, that is a beautiful note to end on. So thank you so much, Tara. And this is Dan Beck signing off from the Star Love Podcast. And remember, if you love the stars, they'll love you back. On the next episode of the Star Love Podcast, we welcome musician and astrologer Basil Farrington. We discuss Basil's phenomenal music career in which he's performed with the likes of Roberta Flack and George Benson and his progressive practical application of his New Way astrology. Please rate us on Apple Podcasts, and if you're interested in sponsoring an episode or season of the Star Love Podcast, email Intermakeup Business Manager James at james at intermakeup.net. To support the continued production of the Star Love Podcast, go to the Leave a Tip Make-A-Wish section at intermakeup.net.